Hello, everybody. Welcome to Quantum Witch Cafe. And tonight you're in for a treat. We have Kobe Michael from Poisoner's Apothecary, who also wrote this wonderful book, The Poison Path Herbal. And it's not what you think. I think that a lot of people, like if you're a witch or you associate with anything witchy, you probably know that it's not all about just poisoning people. Um, make sure you go over to my Instagram and follow Kobe and leave your emoji because I have an extra copy that I'll be giving away Monday. All right, so we'll get right to it. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, kind of like how you got started on this path? Yeah, definitely. So I consider myself an entheogenic herbalist. Uh, so I specialize specifically in plants that are um, altering the consciousness, changing consciousness, expanding consciousness, um, all types of different, you know, sort of perspectives in that. Um, I got started with it probably about eight years ago now, um, working with, with poisonous plants and, and ethnobotanical herbs in, in particular. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's been about eight years and I don't know what ever initially attracted me to them. It was just kind of this, this sort of draw that I had to, to certain plants um, that had this, this, this really interesting body of folk folklore associated with them. That's very cool. So were you into, I guess, like, I hate saying the word witchcraft because some people just get like a weird connotation, but were you into herbal magic before <laughs> any other sort of divination or witchy things or sorcerer things? Yeah, totally. So I, I've, been a, a practicing witch and uh, an armchair occultist for uh, going on on 20 years now. Um, so I'm 33. So that means that I, I started when I was around 12, 13. That was when I got one of my first little books and, um, you know, then just went crazy on the internet, scoured that as much as I could. And um, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's how it starts, right? Like, I feel like every witch just kind of <clears throat> has this... Um this draw to like plants. Like some of us are like little and throw like making potions out of random leaves in the backyard. Like that was my situation. Mm -hmm. um, I was just getting, I guess, I didn't even know what it was now, but like, I remember like mixing it in my little, like my grandpa had this planter and it was like in the family that he had it outside because he didn't care about it. But I still have it to this day because I joke as my first cauldron because I would put like rose petals and make teas and potions. And, and obviously once we start being able to read, um, we learn more about what we want to do. Did you have any early experiences, you know, before you were 12, like as a child that kind of um, made you realize there was more to the world than uh, what they were telling us maybe in school or on mainstream, like media? Um, <clears throat> I, I, I always liked to make different concoctions and, and potions when I was growing up. Like my, my mom and my grandma tell me about all of the different potions that they would let me make at the stove. And, and then it was really kind of this innocent thing. Um, but it was a theme that I sort of kept coming back to was this, um, you know, botanical magic and potion making specifically. Um, that, that eventually was sort of my gateway into more like legitimate witchcraft practices and things like that. <clears throat> and I don't think it was so much a necessarily like a, a spiritual experience or visionary experience or anything as that, as much as growing up um, in kind of a conservative 
Christian household and being exposed to um, various different churches and, you know, their teachings and things like that. And just that kind of headbutting with like what my core, um, you know, truth was, it just didn't, didn't fit right. And that caused me to really question things. And I've always been very inquisitive and skeptical and interested in, in the scientific aspect of things as well, too. So it was just kind of that, that rebellious need to question, you know, in the face of, of that. Of everything. <laughs> you yeah. So that's awesome. You definitely get into a lot of the science in the book and how different things interact. And I remember that I think the first thing I ordered from you Actually, the first thing I ordered you was this little one of the resin rings with the Labradorite because Labradorite is like my favorite. Um, I think that was the first thing. And then I think I ordered a um, there was some sort of blend and I, it, was, it had Blue Lotus and a bunch of other things in it. Um, it was a while ago. And then I ordered the um, Amanita tincture. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like the love of my life. Um, I had had a bad experience with an Amanita I probably shouldn't have been messing with um, before. And I honestly... I don't know if I actually almost died or if it was showing me what would happen because it was like a weird part time in my life, you know, like, so I don't know if it was teaching either way it taught me. Cause <laughs> so when I took yours, I was like, okay, he knows what he's doing. He's not just some me trying to figure it out on my own. Cause it's very dangerous. Like the right, cause those mushrooms can kill you super fast. Um, so you go into that in the book, you know, you differentiate between the different types of amanitas and different plants. Um, you do have, um, what I thought was interesting though, while I was saying this is on the bottle, you put don't avoid carbonated beverages before you take it. Um, and that plays into a lot of the chemistry, right? The way um, the plant interacts with uh, our body system. Mm -hmm. yep. And you do go into that in the book, but what is the carbonation? How does that interact in a not so good way? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So the, um, it sounds kind of like an urban legend, you know, not to drink carbonated beverages when you've taken mushrooms. Um, and that has to do more so with actually ingesting the mushrooms or taking a tincture an oral extraction, um, something like that. And what happens is the decarboxylation process that the mushroom goes through when it's dried and extracted is reversed by the addition of these <clears throat> extra um, CO2 molecules from, from the carbonation, converts the muscimol back into the ibotenic acid, which is what gives you a lot of the um, uncomfortable side effects, the, nausea, okay, yeah. the, the negative experiences. Mm. That's interesting. You took me all the way back to organic chemistry for a second because <laughs> I, I took organic chem, o, o chem one. I didn't do the second one yet. Um, but yeah, it sounds exactly like we were learning about how things interact. So I, th I think it's very intelligent that you know that and that you even put it in the book. So knowing all this, what made you finally sit down and write a book? Is it something you've been kind of like working on or is it you were just like people keep asking me things? I need to write a book. What made you finally write it? Um, it was weird how it all really came about. I mean, looking back now, I think there was always a book inside of me. I've always been a writer ever since I was a kid. Um, you know, usually like fiction or poetry type things, but I've also been a very avid note taker. And that's been like one of my obsessions. Um, you know, even now, um, just filling notebooks with, with research and I read things. So I had gone about... I think six, seven years of just reading about 
different poisonous plants and herbs traditionally associated with witchcraft and, and that branched off into the ceremonial herbs of other cultures and just kind of compiling all of these notes that were of interest to me. Um, so I, I wound up gathering kind of all of this content and all of this material and it was when I had started um, blogging for Pathios Pagan a few years back that I really started to get comfortable with the idea of like writing publicly and, and sharing my ideas with other people and, and really kind of getting an idea that, that this was something that other people really wanted to know about and learn about. So I really started to kind of tailor my blog more towards the poison path. And then it was at that point that I really started to put together what would then be the basis for the book. Very cool. And you did a great job. I can't stop like talking about it because people are afraid to write about this stuff because they only see, you know, like the scary part of the shadow. They don't realize that even these herbs, like everything in existence has a shadow side, right? That's not bad. Like, I feel like your shadow side can be like you're the sexiest part of you or that deep intellectual side of you. So people just, you know, have a misconception when they see like poison path herbal they're thinking that, like, and I know you wrote in one of your posts, you're like, this isn't going to teach you how to poison your lover, you know? <laughs> but uh, I always joke with my husband. I just, like, have one of your business cards on the fridge because I think it's funny because he's like, wait, what is this? I'm like, <laughs> nothing. Um, so it's kind of fun to have around um, the muggles, I guess. But if somebody didn't know what the poison path is, um, this is covered in part one of the book. So if you have the book, you're going to get a lot more of this in depth, but um, just break down what the poison path is or baneful magic. Yeah. So when you have a business called the poisoners apothecary and you wrote a book called the poison path herbal, the, the first joke that people like to make is like, Oh, I need that for my husband or, Oh, I don't want mm. my wife to find out about that. And that's always like kind of the context that it, that it is in. Um, <clears throat> And I threw myself off by interjecting that little little point and then, then lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. So um, what's the poison path? And yeah, that's the, the running joke. Because even friends, when I shared it, they're like, oh, ha, ha, put it. Don't let Logan see that. Or like, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why I kind of use that as sort of a buzzword to sort of educate people and show people that poisonous doesn't ultimately mean death and that there's a lot of baggage kind of wrapped up in in the modern concept of, of poison and what's toxic and what's medicinal and when we really kind of look at these plants individually <clears throat> we find that they have a lot to offer you know not only um, as physical medicines you know used in, in pharmaceutical medication and things like that but also um, you know, they are their teachers and can offer profound healing and transformation and, um, you know, just facilitating different states of mind. And so just educating people and kind of using, um, you know, poison as, as the means to do that, because it does get people's attention. It, it It's in a way it's kind of seductive and secretive and um, occult. And on the other hand, it's it's very dark and dangerous and sinister. People are <clears throat> naturally kind of attracted to those things because they're they're things that we're afraid of, things that we're not familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I after I I saw you, so I first became aware of your work at the Bitchcraft Fest in um, Louisville, Kentucky. 
and I want to say it was 2017, 2018. And I was like walking around. There's all these like, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff there because it's all, you know, handmade and it's everybody putting their their craft out there and it's beautiful. But I got to yours and I got this Edgar Allan Poe vibe right away, but not in a bad way. Like, in, like I love Edgar Allan Poe. I was reading them probably way too young. So that's why I'm weird. But um, it's a very, um, it's like an intellectual mysterious energy. And that's kind of, I'm like, um, I always like tap into people's energy and I get like these visuals or thoughts. Um, but I remember looking at your stuff. I was like, this is so cool, but like, I wouldn't know how to use it. So um, yeah, I just remember looking at everything and I was like, this is, this is very, like, you're right. It's alluring because it's uh, it's dangerous, but they're also so beautiful because you had these beautiful like resin, you had these bottles with like the, the plant inside of it or the blue flowers. And, and it was just like a little crystal that went on top of the jar and you had all these pretty like amulets. But when you look closer, there's like, um, like a toad skin or a bone. And it's just like that, that dance of like the light and shadow. I just love it. But yeah, ever since then I've been following your, your, uh, your Instagram, because I was like, I kind of, everybody wants to learn more about this, whether they say it or not. And i I just think that the work you're doing is great. And then I came, I realized there was more people that do it too. Um, not as good as you. I will say there's a lot of other shops. Yours is my favorite still. But there is people that make um, like put like a like a confections. Like I bought some truffles and I cannot think of the page. It's a great, it's a great page too. But she, um, they make all these truffles. And uh, I got one, I got a Belladonna one and did this like, um, meditation like a like a bath meditation and it was like so beautiful but like I fasted the whole day too so it's just enough like um I didn't get poisoned or anything you know just mm -hmm. like when taking the amanita tincture I would take it for um dream work and um even meditation and it just kind of just amplifies like the spirits around you and what people don't think about is the spirits like the plants have their own spirit right yeah. So does each plant have its own spirit or do all like the, you know, all the mugworts have the same spirit just kind of um, everywhere or does each individual plant have its own spirit in your um, ex experience? Um, yeah. In my, in my personal experience, I do think that there is kind of an overarching sort of consciousness, uh, a group consciousness for a specific group of plants. So there is the the overarching consciousness of Atropa Belladonna that has all of the characteristics that Belladonna Deadly Nightshade has. And then there's the more individualized consciousness, which we get from a more one-on-one uh, -on -one interaction with a specific plant uh, or a specific plant medicine. Um, and that's that's got more to do with the individual using it and kind of the interplay of the energies that are sort of reflecting back different aspects. And that's where you get some different variations. So plant spirits are very, very open to interpretation and, you know, often, you know, present themselves in all sorts of different forms. Yes, definitely. And even the ones you cover a lot of different um planetary associations too. So we have the three main players, right? Saturn, Venus, and Mercury. And they all have a different role. So the Saturnian herbs, what are their, um, can you just run through the three and briefly describe kind of like the, um, the attributes that they would bring to somebody's life or their practice? Yeah, definitely. So 
Saturn, Mercury, and Venus are kind of the three main categories of <clears throat> poisonous plants or witching herbs. Um, we have Saturn, which is going to be associated with things like necromancy, death, um, the alchemical stage of negredo, of, of being broken down, um, reduced to bone, so shamanic death, um, binding, banishing, things that have to do with um, the past, karma, life path sort of things, um, just very Saturnian um, time-related things, so very long-term. Um, then we have Venus, which of course is obviously going to be aphrodisiacs, uh, which is a, is a really interesting topic in and of itself because we have uh, different ecstatic states and things like that, but then also glamour magic, uh, manipulation magic, and influence magic. Um, and then Mercury, which is <clears throat> more of the, the traveler, the journeyer, um, the shapeshifter, um, going through different realms and things like that. So those are sort of the three main themes that you see manifest the most frequently in the poisonous plants. Yes, definitely. And you have all the beautiful uh, sigils in there, too, um, that correspond to each plant. And I just love like how you add the history um, as you're just because I think it's like part two, right, where you go through the plants and you describe kind of like each one for the most part that um, that are out there. And you you tell a little bit of the lore, like I, the mandrake kind of was like very interesting to me because you almost had to treat it like um like a baby or like a um like a poppet you know to feed a poppet or like a grigri bag which is you know or a mojo bag what people call it, different things like you had to feed it and i thought it was interesting that people kind of kept them like for a very long time like generations and um everybody knows it from harry potter the, the mandrake well that's the mandrake baby <laughs> but um but yeah it's uh it's very interesting that people like pass things down like that. Like my family did, they're Catholic. So it's one of those things where like nobody like passed herbs down to me and I have two sons, so I don't know which one of them is going to be a witch, or, you know, but I think it'd be cool one day to just hand them like some herbs. Like I've had these forever and you know, um, so you already answered that question. I do have a list of questions. So I keep track of what I'm asking you. So I don't ask the same thing twice. So in your, um, in your opinion, if somebody starts getting curious about working with these different types of uh, medicinal and entheogenic plants, what is like the first step they should take in starting to build a relationship with this, this sort of magic or path? Um, first step would be to go out into your local environment, the landscape that you live in, and kind of start investigating and see what sorts of plants that you're drawn to and try and identify them. Identify them, um, And you will likely find that there are a lot of um, poisonous, invasive, or baneful herbs that are right in your local area that have their own, um, you know, totally different characteristics, their own insight that they can offer um, through looking at them in different ways and then also, you know, incorporating them into medicine. Um, there's nightshade growing all around us. So if you're interested in working with nightshade, finding things like bittersweet nightshade, black nightshade, um, or, you know, datura grows all over the place too. Um, so they're, they're out there and it's just a matter of kind of, you know, developing that familiarity and initiating that, that exchange and, 
you know, just becoming familiar with them in their physical space and their growing habits, um, you know, while simultaneously doing meditations and doing research to kind of bring in some of those additional insights, um, you know, focusing on, on visiting a specific plant over an extended period of time um, and not working with any other plant allies during that time and kind of see what, what different things are coming up in your mind throughout the day or as you're dreaming or in meditation um, that could possibly be related to that plant spirit or, you know, the plant spirit trying to reach out to you in some way. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I do that with crystals and I tell people, like I have a lot of friends, people are becoming more open to um, metaphysics, I guess. And they will be like, oh, I just, I saw this one in the bowl and I just had to have it. And how do I use it though? You know, um, mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you're already using it because you picked it like it, or it picked you in some cases it caught your eye. And I always tell them sleep with it, stick it in your bra, your pocket, um, I, I, some people aren't brave enough to wear medicine bags. So <laughs> like, um, stick it in a bag anywhere, you know, anywhere where it's going to be close to you, preferably with like skin contact. But obviously we can't do that with some of the herbs, you know, you can't walk around with like an Amanita cap stuff in your bra. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I like that because I tell people that all the time. And we were talking a little bit before and I said, well, I was collecting all these herbs. I don't even know why, like, since I was in Alaska and even like out and about in Alaska, there'd be something I'm like, Oh, I want to keep it. And then I go read about it. <laughs> My husband's always like, you're always coming home with like some weird rock or plant and, and reading about it. I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know. I like them, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how they'll call to you and you won't even know why, because there's sometimes like it's the, the medicine we need, but on the flip side, there's certain aversions that kind people have, that they need too, right? Um, one example is bones. Like I took an anatomy class. I didn't have a problem dissecting a human, but when I come in contact with like, like I don't use bones and magic. And one of my mentors is like, well, because you need to use bones. I'm like, but there's something about, um, like I'm comfortable with death. I've had a lot of death in my life, but I'm not comfortable working with death, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But people will say, well, that's because you need to explore it more. So, we need to pay attention to what what we're avert, what our aversions are, but also what we're attracted to in the herbal world and probably the world around us all the time. So I do think that's interesting that you said go outside and kind of like walk around and see what plants you feel like that catch your eye or that you feel like drawn to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's all just a really good point and a really good example of, you know, approaching this kind of like you would any other, you know, magical or metaphysical practice, you know, with, with keeping in mind that they are very potent plants and, you know, they do have the potential to harm you. So don't go around, you know, putting things in your mouth like that. But we've got all of these different methods available at our disposal to incorporate things into our spiritual practice in different ways, um, you know, to get the benefit from them that don't necessarily require um, you know, eating something or, or, you know, going to that extreme. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of leads into my next question. Is it enough to have it just near you? Like, I love this little ring. Um, and I lost a little bit of weight, so now it's a thumb ring, but, um, I just love having it near me. It makes me feel a certain way. So to me, it's enough to have it near me, but is it enough for people to kind of have it like, um, like say they wanted to work with the, you know, um, a plant and they wanted it for like 
dreaming? Is it, it's, and I use like herbal pouches, but is it just enough to have it near you? Or do you, is that a good way to start too? Like just having it maybe like growing in your garden, but you're not actually um, bringing it inside. Cause some people were kind of like chicken about it. Like they're, they're afraid that like everything's going to kill them. And you <laughs> so um, even with like normal herbs, like mugwort, people are like, Oh, mugwort. That sounds like everybody, everybody always says any plant I say, they're like, Oh, it sounds like Harry Potter. And like, Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very real. I mean, Harry Potter came later. Don't don't get me wrong. I love me some Harry, but um, is it enough? Like, say somebody have it like in a in a jar next to their bed or in one of your amulets, which you guys have to go see because they're gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, vib vibrationally and and using them in sympathetic magic. I mean, we use um, charm bags and and intentional oils and. <clears throat> talismans and all of these different things vibrationally just having them near us um you know because of the the subconscious connection the energetic connection the spiritual connection and it's the same with with poisonous plants and all plants um you know so just because they're poisonous there doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be that much more effective for you than than any other herb would be um, but on the other hand of that they they are the plants that have the most association with magical practice and the spiritual world and and making that connection and they have some of the largest personalities and also the most profound effect on our own energy field and our own life force um so they are are very potent so uh, i definitely think that that proximity is is definitely a viable way to work with them that's awesome yeah and definitely, guys, I can't say it enough, look at his shop because there's so many beautiful things. You turn them into these beautiful like vials, you put them in resin, you make pendulums out of them. Like I feel like you offer like a way for everybody to experience them without like putting it on their skin or ingesting it. Um, you're very um, specific about, you know, the ways to use it. I feel like you're not like, oh, just you don't just put it on there. You don't you educate people as well is what I'm trying to say. Um, I did take one of your witches flying ointment classes, uh, I think last year. Mm -hmm. It was before I redid it. And I loved it because, again, you gave history, you gave lore, you went into a little science and then you basically said, like, this is the ingredients. You went over each ingredient, how to make it. I'm still going to end up just buying some from you because I'm like, <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to. It's, you know, supporting the business and then also getting the benefit of using it. Um, but yeah, I love it. You have different herbs you can burn or smoke. You have different teas. I, um, the, it, the one that I, I want to get for a protection bag, but you have the hex charm. Mm -hmm. Um, is, I don't know if that's what it's called. I've seen it. Um, and you said that it could be used, um, you know, people can use it to project that sort of baneful magic, but it could also use to protect. And this brings, you know, the question of intention. So say somebody buys one of those, you, your, what your intention is when you're physically taking it out, is that what causes um, the herb to either, or the magic in the bag to either be, um, I guess, you know, um, more protective versus hexing? Yeah, so the, the intention is going to kind of activate it, but it's kind of that same idea of, um, you know, like a, a vaccine containing the, the virus or, you know, the cure for something is actually some some type of a, a toxic substance that's working in a certain way that's that's facilitating a cure. So it's kind of the same same way as that um, thinking as that in that 
a lot of the the baneful herbs that are used for you know projecting harm also have a you know very defensive and protective element to them as well um you know and vice versa <clears throat> so for example like um bittersweet nightshade which is a, a vining wild nightshade that grows pretty commonly uh, that one typically would be used for protective workings to protect the home to protect children to protect animals um, but it also has that Saturnian kind of a nature to it. So we can kind of translate that into more now binding magic, constricting magic, um, entropy, and things like that. So uh, it's an interesting kind of two-way street with that. Right. Definitely. I, I definitely wanted to get one of those. My husband leaves a lot. He's military. And I wanted to get one and put it outside my door. But I was like, what if I'm thinking like a shitty thought when I open it? Or, or what if I'm in a mood when I start working with it and I like curse my or hex myself? I know like I'm a witch. Like I know that's not how it works. But it's always these funny things where um, you're stepping into the unknown. You know, I, I work with I didn't realize I had some of the ones in your book, some of the herbs in your book. But um, it's just funny how like our mind goes like one way or the other. Um, another reason I was thinking about ordering one was because um, one of uh, my husband's soldiers kind of like got discharged from the army and it wasn't honorable. And she was from Haiti and she practiced um, some sort of Haitian magic and they're cleaning out the barracks room and they find a doll, a creepy doll. Uh -oh. And they're like, can your wife come here? And I'm like, no, because I don't know that kind of magic. And if I touch it, it might be because people do program different things to like, the first person that kind of like messes with this, it transfers, the energy transfers to. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if I went in there, I'd come with a shovel or something. But <laughs> but um, they're like, what do we do with it? I'm like, I can't help you there. I don't mess with poppets. I don't mess with Haitian magic. I don't know about it. So I'm secretly trying to find somebody to help them out with that because I don't, I feel like that's more than I can take on. I think the weirdest thing I've done is help the demon situation, but demons are familiar for some reason. So, uh, but yeah, uh, those poppets are tricky, right? Like they're, I mean, they're very like magically alive um, because that's what people created them to be. And if somebody's mad and they leave one behind, like just leave it, <laughs> it can live there. Now. That's its room now. <laughs> Cause yeah. I guess they tried to move people in there and those guys were like getting bad dreams and just like <laughs> intimidating stuff. You know, yeah. about like a a very old living current that you know a lot of a lot of people you know still believe in very very much and were brought up and raised believing it and um, yeah that, that would that would definitely be intimidating. <laughs> yeah, it's just interesting. Maybe it's just um, it could be nothing she could be doing to scare people, but I'm not trying to mess with it because I don't understand that. Um, I've never made a, a living um like a living poppet or um i think the most i did in high school my first my first spell book was on um hoodoo and voodoo so i did make a grigi bag at one time but it was not um to harm anybody it was just kind of like a confidence one mm -hmm. but i did feed it honey um so i guess i have made one and then when i was done with it i um laid it to rest and all this weird stuff that you know witches do so <laughs> taking a hole it's got a tiny headstone now <laughs> um but yeah it was uh i was like i don't know guys like, i'm not gonna mess with that because i don't understand it and i don't know what it's programmed to do and um i think i'm badass and like nothing's gonna affect me but what if it's just some spirit that's just very powerful you know so um so you can 
protect with the same things you could do to pets. And like you said, that's with anything that's even food, right? We eat too much of a certain kind of food. It makes us sick. But if we eat just enough, then, you know, it's not going to do anything. And even with vitamins, people get vitamin poisoning. I'm like, dang, Betty, how much were you taking? But yeah, you can get vitamin poisoning. They're supposed to help. Um, but the same comes with like magical herbs. Um, let me see. Okay. So herbs for journey work. Um, the visions induced by some of these herbs, when you use them, if um, you kind of went through a part in the book where you talked about basically um, if people are doing it for recreation, just to like get, you know, messed up and hallucinate, they tend to have the more terrifying experiences. But it can also happen to people doing journey work, right? If they're working, um, doing like shadow work or that sort of thing. Um, so we view some of these spirits as evil and mean and ugly and whatever people want to call it. But to me, I think they're misunderstood because I think they're the greatest teachers. So um, like, you know, like Kali, like like Kali, people associate like this, there's always that scary picture of her. But when you get to know that goddess um, in a more neutral form where she's not trying to like war, you know, or if you approach her in the right way, you're going to see a very beautiful side to it. Just like the whole story about Persephone, like she's both. And I'd like to think that, you know, that side of the story, once she gets down, there isn't all like hell and demons. Like people want to say like the underworld is, it's really not, I don't think it's like that. So when people do for journey work, um, a lot of people do like ayahuasca and that tends to produce a lot of scary experiences, but it is all, again, back to the tension and set and setting that people are doing it to get like just high, then they're more likely to have like the adverse effects because they're not ritually prepared. Mm-hmm. How do you suggest somebody prepare for a ritual journey or meditation uh, working with um, some of the more entheogenic herbs? Yeah, so if we're talking about a, a true entheogenic ritual where we're we're really experiencing um, an entheogenic level of the plant medicine. Sometimes there's there isn't anything you can really do to prepare for it, and it's going to be an intense experience, and it's going to bring up a lot of things that you maybe didn't want to think about or didn't think that would that would be brought up and you know things from your past and stuff like that and there's there's really no way to completely prepare for that but just kind of understanding that you know, it's all part of the experience you know that's kind of the point of the the catharsis and the healing and the insight that comes from going through this you know sort of shamanic death process where the ego is really just stripped away and you're kind of made helpless and then the process of kind of working back through that and coming back down to reality and sort of reintegrating is where a lot of the um you know insight and healing actually comes from um you know the best things that you can do to prepare are you know just like the usual fasting avoiding things like caffeine alcohol sugar um, some people will go as far as uh, abstaining from sex. Uh, of course, meat is a thing to avoid if you're taking any any type of mm-hmm. herbs because that just in- interferes with the, the absorption and the body's ability to process it. Um, but just approaching with reverence, mindfulness, um, the ritual aspect doesn't have to be extremely elaborate. It could be as simple as like sitting around a fire or 
um, you know, burning incense or sitting there with a drum or something like that, but anything to kind of keep the mind focused on the sacred aspect of it is going to kind of ward off the potential for some of those more sinister experiences. Um, you know, now with plants like the nightshades, they are darker by nature, so the the visionary experiences with nightshades are often um, much more darker in theme and darker in tone, and that can appear frightening to a lot of people, but it's just the specific nature uh, of that particular medicine. Yeah, definitely. Like I was telling you, the whole uh, me thinking I was going to take some Amanita and it was not, and I still took a little bit because I'm afraid, obviously. Um, but yeah, I was, I got really sick. And normally when I take like a mushroom, I get like very like um, ethereal kind of things happening. Um, I was not in a good frame of mind. Um, I was going through a depression, um, postpartum depression, and I decided I was just going to do it. I wasn't nursing anymore for the record. Um, but I took too much and I got really sick. And I passed out on the floor and I had like an out of body experience and basically was shown like, um, this is why you can't leave. And basically these uh, kind of like light being things were around me, but there was also like darker beings too, like shadowy figures. And it was just like both of them there and both telling me like to go back. And I will, I will never know to this day if I actually had an out-of-body experience or if it was working and doing its work and showing me um, like this is like you're not supposed to go now basically. Mm -hmm. So that will be one of the most perplexing but kind of life-changing experiences I had with the plant. And then I got to my senses and started ordering uh, your tinctures so I wouldn't die anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that's what, you know, it wasn't bad. It was bad at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die for real. Like I'm out of my body right now. <laughs> And, um, and there's these beautiful beings, but there's also these terrifying beings and, um, they don't want me to come with them. So that's, you know, <laughs> they won't let me come with them because I was going to the light ones. Like, let's go, you know, um, you like, nope. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> like hanging on to them. <laughs> so yeah, that's one of the things that, um, people need to prepare for. Like sometimes you will see something really scary and this happens with other mushrooms too. Um, you know, people get these crazy like uh they get this like weird feel they feel connected um when they're using herbal magic and i think that you know a lot of these other herbs can do that too because even with the amanita tincture um i, I did obviously start with a little bit and kind of worked my way towards um where i was feeling um more light i guess um more vibrational and i did have um so i did that and i had some blue lotus burning um next to me and I had like this crazy, it was the first time I actually projected uh, while I was meditating in trance. Like it, it's happened in my sleep. I've always been like a dream person, like a dream walker type person. But this is the first time that I like had this astral projection and saw myself like sitting in my meditation room. That was freaking cool. Like that was, that's one of the more beautiful experiences because you get out and you can go anywhere you want in the universe. And it's very much like lucid dreaming where you can, you can do fun things like hop from building to building and whatever people do in like fun lucid dreams, or you can do work. And I was trying to do work. I was trying to go contact beings and, um, 
you know, show them earth if they hadn't seen earth yet, or, you know, just connect with something higher than yourself. And I, I've only been able to do that with herbs that people say are kind of scary. So thank you for those magics because they worked very well. <laughs> so we have the difference between recreational and ritual use. Um, we did talk about set and setting and intention. So um, people often want to try things like, you know, um, because it's cool or whatever. I don't know that the poison path has become trendy yet. It's I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm seeing it more because I'm looking at it more. But um, some people, like, you know, might think that it's fun to just do it as recreation, which is not recommended, right? Like, you don't go, um, <laughs> you're just going to have a bad experience. <laughs> so I'm not the only person I know that has aversion to bones. When you make some of your amulets, you use um, different types of, um, like, bones or, like, uh, snake skin. And you do it in a very artistic way. Like, it's beautiful. Like, I think you did one with the snake skin all the time. And I was like, I might really want that. But, like, I'm kind of, like, afraid of it because I don't know why. But so what is the role um, with, uh, you know, remains play with the herbs? Like, how do they work together? Um, so they're just another materia magica. Um, so when I'm creating the amulets, I'm generally it kind of happens in a in sort of a stream of consciousness you know i used to maybe sit down and say i wanted to create an amulet for this specific thing and if i i do a custom order i still do but it's really something that just kind of comes together on its own and i've got like you said all of these different little jars and baggies of plants and things that i've acquired and not known necessarily the reason for and i'll be here working and you know, just have like an idea come into my head of like, oh, if I combine this with this, it would be good for that, or it would kind of represent this and create like these more kind of nuanced meanings and connections. So it's like a very artistic kind of spiritual process working with the plants and the other ingredients. Um, but the bones in particular, I use a few different ones, um, typically coyote, bat, toad, um, all of the, the animals typically associated with, with witches or shamanic practice, um, shape-shifting, that sort of thing. So they, they are also, you know, kind of the animal equivalent of poisonous plants, I guess. So there's a lot of sort of synergy between certain poisonous plants and certain animal spirits as well. Um, Datura and coyote, for example tricksters right mm -hmm. i love it i love it i didn't know that so um i know that's how i read your book and you talked about like the trickster kind of coming into play um but yeah i didn't realize that you had i saw the coyote one but i didn't make obviously i didn't make the association until now because i think that i saw it when you made it it was a while ago right um and i was like this is interesting um i wonder like i wondered about your process of creating such beautiful things even your oils you made one recently that looked like um it looked like blood floating inside, almost like a lava lamp. What was that one? Um, how did yeah. you come up with that one? Just I, I'm just here all of the all the time. I'm just concocting, <laughs> like crafting and creating things. And so a lot of a lot of ideas just sort of come to me when I'm working on something else. Um, so with that one, that's the Lilith oil. 
and the baneful herbs in that one are poppy and hellbore, uh, and it's more of a, a vibrational amount of those. It's not used to be entheogenic or anything like that. Uh, also cassia and ylang-ylang and probably something else, but the red that you're seeing is a dragon's blood tincture or alcohol extract. So it kind of sits on top of the oil and then you can shake it up and it looks like little drops of blood in there. It's very cool because I didn't, um, you said he switched the lighter bottles and I've only seen the dark ones. So I think that'll be a great, like, because people like to see, um, you're right. I think you put in the post that they're too beautiful to like cover with the bottles now um, because they really are. That's really cool. I liked that one. I was like, that's really pretty. Um, you also work with, uh, with energy streams like Lucifer and Lilith that most people kind of associate like as evil. I don't think that they're evil. But what are the major misconceptions with Lucifer, actually, that people have? And what is his side that is beneficial to people? So the main misconception is just kind of the idea of Satan or the adversary of humanity, um, you know, identifying Lucifer, the light bringer or the folkloric devil with this. Um, you know, Old Testament sort of enemy of, of all mankind, essentially, uh, where with Lucifer is um, looking more at the, the angelic aspect and the story of the fall and what, the, what that kind of symbolizes and um, sort of a, a recurring Promethean theme of knowledge and magic and power being taken from the gods by a certain entity and delivered to mankind. Um, and that being a, a punishable offense. Um, so that would be an example of like the Luciferian current is it's very rebellious, um, rebellious in the face of the establishment that wants to keep knowledge hidden from people um, because it's that firsthand knowledge, that firsthand experience, that, that um, connection to the divine that, um, it makes it unnecessary for us to go to these these gatekeeper type people. Yes, definitely. And it's similar with Lilith too. People want to say, you know, um, I, I'm just bringing this up because people might be watching that aren't familiar with any of this. You know, um, I read a lot about different goddesses and I've been drawn to like, you know, the darker goddesses um, because they're very interesting and the gods. Um, I did get chills when I was reading your book because um, I was reading about fly agaric in there and you said that um, it was set, you know, in lore that Odin fed it to his ravens. It's super weird. I know every witch loves ravens, but I had this crazy like Odin, like uh, dream. And I take dreams seriously because I am a witch, you know, <laughs> I take the dream seriously. So I had this crazy experience with Odin and his ravens. And that's kind of like around the time where I started messing with like um, with the Amanita and then like found your fly agaric. So when I was reading that, I was just like, like, it's super weird how all, and this was all just like kind of like within the past year or so. Um, so that like that gave me chills because it's called I've always been fascinated with like um, with Odin and that, you know, that pantheon and that particular mushroom, like, like as far as I can remember, but I was like, oh, you're not allowed to do it because you're not Norse or, you know, you're not allowed to read about it because, because <laughs> of that. So yeah, that definitely was a synchronicity in the book that it kind of explained a lot. Um, so a lot of these, the Venus herbs are kind of aligned with goddesses like Inanna, Hecate, and Persephone. And 
again, um, those ones have always sort of resonated um, with me. I, I, I don't, and same thing with like the Lilith and Luciferian energy. So I think that it's really cool. Like, I feel like you're, you're show, and I've always stayed away with, from it because of Catholicism, right? Mm -hmm. um, being raised Catholic, obviously I'm not Catholic anymore, but um, you have this inherent guilt about working with these energy streams. Mm -hmm. So when you start working with these more like what people consider like shadowy type aspects of yourself or of the gods and goddesses, I think that the plants kind of give you like a like an in with that. I, I think that you're showing people how to work with these more mysterious plants and gods and goddesses without um, having to dive right in and not know that there is like the light aspect to them. So I think that you're, I think whatever you consider your mission to be is very great um, because you're, you're showing people how to use these in your book. Like you said, like you have, like you have some hands-on stuff in here that people can do, but none of it is um, it's all practical. Like people don't realize the practical, <laughs> practical uses of these. Like you said, some of them are used for um, like, like some of the numbing can be good for like muscle aches and stuff like that. So I just, I think that it's really cool that you covered all of that and that you're doing this work because we have a lot of people that are love and light. We have, you know, um, all the people that want to bring like, uh, like everything's light, everything's light, everything's light. Um, and we have this duality throughout the universe that we need to acknowledge. And I feel like these plants are just so beautiful, but they're also um, the side of people that they don't know. I wouldn't say they're afraid. Some are afraid to explore it, but maybe they don't know how to explore it, which is my case. So you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you. So, so the book is divided into three parts. Um, one is kind of like the basics, like, you know, what is the poison path? Um, and then you talk about the three ways of the poison path. And that's where a lot of the herbal stuff is. But you talk about some other common plants towards the end, like mugwort and even um, ladies mantle, even myrrh, cassia. Um, so people don't realize that those herbs, people don't realize those herbs are more, um, you know, on the... Um, like I guess the the side of like uh, the poison path can work with it or the more baneful side of it. So I didn't know that until I read your book. So, <laughs> but I have been collecting a lot of those herbs and I'm like, oh, I guess I've just been slowly coming around to this. So do you grow a lot of your own herbs? I know that you, um, at one point you had a really big garden. Uh, do you, and you moved a couple times, but do you kind of have, are you like a pro at growing? You even go through how to like grow certain, like you have growing tips at the back of the book too. So do you, um, anywhere you move, do you just automatically start up your garden? Usually I try to, um, I did used to have a really big garden. Um, you know, this was probably six, seven years ago now. And I've been really growing in, in apartments and, and wild harvesting and things like that. It's, it's been all over the place. Um, but now that I'm finally settled down back here, I've started all of my new seeds and got all, all of my new little baby plants and things like that. Um, so I'm very excited to see them start to mature. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I know you've posted some little babies before too. They're so cute. I love plants. <laughs> It's like therapy for people, like I swear. Like anytime my husband left for like two months and he came back, he's like, Why is there so many plants? I'm like, I had to fill your space. I needed something, you know, <laughs> like something about any plant. But um 
Yeah. So what is the ideal witch's garden like for somebody following the poison path? Like what is your, your dream garden? Like, give me like your top six. Oh gosh. <laughs> you want them all, of course. Yeah. Well, Belladonna would have to be there. Um, I'm also, well, Belladonna, Henbane, and Datura. Those would probably be my three go-to nightshades. Um, I would definitely have some Hellbor because they're just beautiful. Um, they come in all different hybrid varieties and on all sorts of different colors uh, on the flowers. And, and those are, they're just really otherworldly looking. Like they almost don't even look like plants. Um, <laughs> those, uh, Monk's Hood is one of my favorites as well. And there's quite a few different varieties of that, um, different colors and even a vining variety. Um, so those are pretty and then I would also have like some, probably some carnivorous plants or like some, some weird like carry on flowers that they give off like the, the weird rotting smell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I've, I've read about those before. I want to see one in person. I know it's weird, but <laughs> I want to, um, they had one, I mean, they're hard to grow like outside of their, um, the ones that the big ones that like they get huge that actually smell like death. I've never, have you seen one in person? Um, I think I've I've seen one in person, but it wasn't in bloom when I was there. Oh, okay. It was a baby or it was just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> so some people have kind of like patron goddesses or gods or like um, they form a special bond with like one, you know, god, goddess, crystal, whatever. Do you have a plant that is kind of like um, like your best friend plant or like your plant that you work with the most that has changed you the most or shown you the most? Yeah, mine would be Belladonna or Deadly Nightshade. Um, that's kind of my my go-to, my power plant. Uh, I think it's kind of like the the one that, that sort of facilitates and makes the relationship with all of the other ones happen. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my, my right-hand plant. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't have one yet. I dream a lot about mugwort, but um, I guess the mushroom, like the fly agarix definitely on my uh, my favorites list. <laughs> it's just, I like it. And even before, even after it almost killed me, I guess, <laughs> or whatever happened. Um, <laughs> have you had any scary experiences? Like, oh shit, I took too much or I worked with you too much. Have you ever had anything like that happen? Yeah, there was one time when I was experimenting and I'd actually um, made some belladonna and henbane into a tea which is, is not typically the way to go about working with those specific types of plants, but that's what I did and wound up taking too much. And it was a very scary and unsettling and unnerving experience on, on a number of different levels. Um, you know, seeing shadow figures and, and demonic faces and, and talking to people that weren't there and thinking people were there that weren't and just, just all very, very strange, very spooky things. Yeah, you wrote one part in the book where it said a lot of people don't realize that they're kind of under the influence until they're coming out of it and they don't remember what happened. So that's definitely an interesting aspect, but that can happen with vodka too, guys. So <laughs> except for vodka, probably, you know, it's not the same comparison, but I mean, that's, um, I bet some people kind of wish they remembered more though, after you spend that much time with the plant, you know, or with the, in its 
it's working on you. It's testing your system. It's testing your soul, your spirit, um, your consciousness. So I wish I feel like everybody, I guess some people might not be able to write, but definitely always have a journal for journey work and for plant experiences. And you said you like to write things down, which I can kind of resonate with. I can't read a book without taking notes. Like I don't read like Nicholas Sparks or books, you know what I mean? Like I don't read fiction. Release or yeah, and I, I've always, it's always having to teach me something. And people are like, you just need to, re you need to dumb it down. You need to dumb it down. I'm like, I don't think I'm here to dumb it down. Um, uh, so, yeah. So you might know uh, my channel is, I'm, I'm primarily, I'm fascinated with anything fringe, anything paranormal, anything metaphysical. Um, but I have kind of had that whole um, UFO experience when I was little that kind of like, I think it opened me to everything else more. Um like my grandma passed on her mediumship gifts and I remember sneaking around the corner and she'd be doing like card readings for people, but with like deck, a deck of playing cards. So obviously those two things came to me, but after seeing those lights in the sky, I had some crazy interdimensional being what might be a hologram. I'm still trying to figure it out and I'm barely hearing other people talk about it, maybe because some of the stigma's falling. So where, where do you stand when you, so I was telling you, I'm going to ask you about UFOs. Where do you stand with the whole UFO situation? Like, do you think they're there? Do you think we're being visited? Do you think they're off world? Do you think they're from another dimension? Have you ever seen one? All this stuff. <laughs> I have never seen one. I've never had any kind of experience or encounter. Um, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated with outer space and astronomy and, and life on other planets, but it's also all kind of scared me too. So it's never anything I've really tried to like reach out to. Um, but I think that, you know, I think it's very naive to think that we're, you know, like the only forms of life in the universe. Um, but when it comes to UFOs and extraterrestrials, I almost feel like there's more of a, an interdimensional kind of an element there than actual you know, beings driving from light years away in a ship to, mm -hmm. to kind of get here. I think there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, definitely. And that's becoming more and more people's the consensus. And I have like a little joke where I'm like, oh, it's good. People are catching up because I feel like the witches and sorcerers of the world kind of like knew that already. And just now people are like, I'm beginning to wonder if they came from another dimension or physics we don't understand outside of our Newtonian physics. And I'm just like, who would have thought? <laughs> Weird, huh? Weird how life happens. Uh, have you had any uh, experiences with strange beings that were not human or maybe from another realm? Um, beyond nature spirits and familiar spirits and just some maybe kind of like darker entities or presences that I've encountered. Um, nothing, nothing really uh, super you know, phys physical, like a visitation or anything like that. No. Interesting. Um, have you, do you have a familiar right now? I know this is, this is actually a random question. I didn't plan on asking you this, but do you have um, an animal familiar? No, I don't have an animal familiar. No. Can plants be your familiar? Absolutely. I have many. <laughs> Just think about like how some of them grow invasively, right? They're wandering through and they have, they are connected to the earth and there's like their roots are under there with all the other roots. And to me, it's like, it's almost like 
natural form of entanglement between like the plant systems. We've seen how certain trees talk to each other through their root systems. So I think that's cool because I was thinking, I was like, I've never seen him post a cat or anything or a dog or hamster. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Um, that's why I wanted to ask you. So I was like, oh, I wonder, like, because plants, I mean, and people, I heard this this one girl tell me that her familiar was a crystal, which sounded crazy to me. But she said, no, like, think about the mine it came from. Like, there's still part of it in the earth. And it's, I was like, my, I never thought of that. You know, just everybody's different experiences with different magical items. It's, it's you can, I could talk to people forever about it. Okay. So um, where can people find you? We are on the hour now. I don't want to keep you all night, even though I probably could ask you questions forever. So where can people find you? I do have his link inside the description, but um, just for, you know, purposes, where, where do you prefer people contact you? Uh, where can they find your shop and order your book? Yeah, so you can find me on social media at The Poisoner's Apothecary and at Kobe Michael. Um, if you have any questions about plants or anything on the website, you can shoot me an email at thepoisonersapothecary at gmail.com. Um, and then all of my formulas, classes, um, the book, um, plant information, and all of that is at thepoisonersapothecary.com. You have a Patreon as well, right? Yeah, yep. I also have a Patreon. That's awesome. So in their Patreon, you give, um, did you have like a kit at one point or am I making this up in my head? Yeah, so I do um, different samples kind of throughout the year, um, different ointments, oils, uh, incense, smoking blends, all the, the things that I make and sell on the website. I do different little sample sizes and send those out to the patrons, uh, one of the tiers, and then we do... Um, like regular plant journey meditations and just different chats like about everybody's experiences in, in working with the plants and ritual. That's very cool. So go check him out. There's something for everybody in that shop. I swear you're going to find something and get fascinated by it and want it. And um, I definitely want a lot of things in that shop because, but I'm like, I had to stop ordering stuff all the time because <laughs> I have a habit of ordering things. So but yes, go to his shop and definitely check out his book. There's something for everybody. If you want to try and win a copy, go to my last post. It's not going to be my last post, but it's going to be post with Kobe and this picture. And uh, just comment an emoji and follow him. And I'll put you in the drawing. It'll close on Sunday night. And then I will pick it on Monday and let everybody know who gets a cool book because his uh his awesome publicist sent me one and she's like, well, do you have one? I was like, well, I bought one, but if you send me one, I'll give one away. Cause I feel like that's, that's fair. Like, you know, but I couldn't wait. Cause she was like, oh, I'll send you one. And then I was like, no, I ordered it already. Cause I couldn't, I'm impatient. And I wanted, <laughs> I wanted it for a while. And I was like, oh, well, it's kind of like for work because I'm going to have them on the show. So like, <laughs> but thank you so much. Hang out for a minute after we end the broadcast uh, broadcast. Thank you everybody in the chat that has come. Carla, Carolina, Alien Girl, Diesel Girl, Laura, and Joss is probably back in bed now, but he always says hi to me. Thank you so much, everybody, and I will see you on Saturday. I'm going to be on primetime with Josh and Artemis, and then this Sunday we have UAP Book Club. Have a great night, everyone.